Five, four, three, two, one. The players are here, the fans are here, and so are we, so let's do it. It's ABL Shootaround with Chuck Schreiner and Scott McKinnon. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Shoot Around, presented by Chuck Shiner and Scotty McKinnon. Unfortunately, the big man himself, Chuck Shiner, will not be here with us this week. He's uh, away on business. You're going to be stuck with me, Scotty McKinnon, for the next uh, 20 minutes here. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about a few things today. We're going to talk about the ABL Finals Game 1 and 2 that were held at the OCBC Arena this past week. Fantastic action from both the Singapore Slingers and the CLS Knights. Game one and game two were very, very, very different games, very, very, very different outcomes. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Then we'll move on to the ABL Awards. And we picked our picks, and they were spot on. Kudos to me and Chuck. We were right aligned with the ABL. And that's nice to see that we uh, have similar opinions to them because they have watched a lot of basketball, especially the commissioner and the and the people who are on the board have watched a ton of ABL basketball this year, just like us. And then we're going to talk about some controversy and some stuff that's going on in the finals here that's uh, firing up both different fan bases and kind of give you our opinion here from shoot-around. So let's get started for uh, Game 1. Game 1 was uh, held on May 3rd, 2019, and the CLS Knights ran away with the game 86-67 to over the Singapore Slingers. Took home court away from Singapore at a very, very partisan and loud crowd of 3,000 at the OCBC Arena. And from the get-go, it didn't look good from the Slingers. Um, We talked about last podcast about that long layoff. That long layoff that the Slingers had. And, and, and it was two and a half weeks. The last time they had played was April 17th before this May 3rd Game 1 final. And... As a professional basketball team, you just can't do that. No matter what you do in practice, you are never going to be able to replicate the speed or the reps that you are going to have to come with in in a final series, especially of this magnitude against a team that was had such a fantastic rhythm like the CLS Knights. And that was evident from the get-go and it was evident in Singapore's ability to take care of the basketball. They struggled all night long to the tune of 13 uh, turnovers. And those turnovers came early and often and it got them in trouble at the beginning of the game. They just looked... Uh, from our perspective, me and Chuck's perspective, they just looked out of rhythm. They just looked like they couldn't get their rhythm going, couldn't get their feet underneath there. Their shots weren't falling. Their decision-making was very poor. They were missing the right reads. And it just looked like that layoff really, really hurt those guys. From the other perspective, the, the CLS Knights, well, they looked like a team who had been playing for the last two weeks and playing in a competitive situation, a competitive semifinal against the Mono Vampire. And they had everything going. Okay, and especially one Maxi Esho. Maxi Esho is a special basketball player. The University UMass product, UMass product, six nine hyper athlete can do it all inside outside. His numbers are absolutely bananas. Let's see if we can find his numbers here on the year. Numbers here on the year: twenty two point eight points per game, nine point three rebounds, two point eight assists on 48 from the field, and more importantly, 42% from the three on a massive sample size of 203 three-pointers in the year. So you're telling me the best athlete, 6'9", best athlete, mismatch nightmare, can shoot 42% from the three. 
Uh, that's very tough to match up, and that killed the Slingers early in that game. The one thing that's, uh, that's really interesting about Max Esho is so he's a UMass product. He played in a Division One basketball school, a very famous Division One basketball school. Uh, former alumnus that played at University of uh, Massachusetts, I can't say it, uh, or Marcus Camby and other guys like that. He's a special basketball player. He played for a guy named Derek Kellogg. And if you look at all the literature, all the narratives that came out on Maxi when he played there, was that he was a fantastic athlete. He was a tremendous physical specimen, but he wasn't a skilled basketball player. And they really talked about his shooting ability and lack of it at that point. And so if you look at him now, I cannot imagine the, the amount of work that that dude has had to put in to get to, to be able to shoot at 42% on 203 three-pointers from the year at the FIBA 3 let alone, not alone the college three, the FIBA three, man, this guy had, must have got reps after reps after reps after reps, and all credit to him, he was on absolute fire in that first game. 24 points, 10-18 from the field, eight rebounds, did it all. A couple nice up-and-under reverse layups that we saw him practicing in the warm-up, and he was just a difference maker in that game. And, and one, one thing that the Slingers uh, realized from game, game one, and credit to Coach Neal and Coach Johnson, they made an adjustment for game two, and that direct adjustment was who they were going to put on Maxi Esho. In game one, they put uh, Delvin Go on Maxi Esho. And Delvin Go has the size. He's 6'8", he's big, he's heavy, but he doesn't have the foot speed. And unfortunately, because Maxi Esho shoots a three-point clip at 42%, you have to close out hard on him, and you have to close out with a really high and active contest. And as soon as he got uh, Delvin Go chasing with a little bit longer of a closeout, Max Yesh was up faking. He was, he was getting by him, and he was in the lane half the game, finishing at the rim with big dunks and all that kind of other stuff. The key, I think, to CLS's game one win was also their balance. They had four players in double figures. Jawado, fantastic performance from him at 15 points. Douglas Herring, the all-world guard, reminds me a little bit of Rod Strickland or Kyrie Irving, the silky, smooth, long, wiry nice touch he had 17 on 6 of 11 and surprisingly and I don't give this guy enough credit the former NBA -er who played for the San Antonio Spurs who else did he play for Daryl Watkins he played for the, the, the Sacramento Kings the Los Angeles Clippers former Syracuse Orangeman under Jim Beheim, playing the center of that zone the rim protector himself I didn't give him credit as an offensive basketball player the week before and he came for 23 and 12 and was actually the player of the game and so they just dominated, and they kicked Singapore's butt in that first game. And, and I, from, from a Slingers fan's perspective, I was very, very uh, nervous, and I was very scared that that might be consistent throughout the series. So 86-67, game one. Game two, a uh, completely different story. Tale of two stories, tale of two games, tale of two basketball teams. Game two, Singapore Slingers again in front of 3,000 capacity house here. 77 for the Singapore Slingers, 57, only 57 points for the CLS Knights. And this was all predicated on Singapore's defense. Now, before the game, they gave out the ABL Awards, and, and it was a really fantastic moment for the Singapore community as well as Singapore basketball. So they, they gave out the different awards. And so me and Chuck, we, we did our ABL shoot on about a month ago, so we were way ahead of these guys in picking the regular season awards, and we did really well. Uh, I picked Dean Murray as my coach of the year. Uh, Chuck picked Brian Relson, who was nominated. Um, we both picked the local MVP, Bobby Ray Parks, who was the local MVP. Dean Murray was the ABL coach of the year. I picked him. Shoot around. 
Scott McKinnon picked him as well, so we were on board there. Uh, the defensive player of the years, me and Chuck both both picked um, John Fields, and and I don't think you can argue with that. John Fields has had just a tremendous year from a defensive perspective, from an offensive perspective. That man is a is a fun basketball player, an entertaining basketball player to to watch. But the real the real heartwarming moment, I think there there's a there's a couple not dry eyes in the house. Was uh, Xavier Alexander winning the MVP for imports? And uh, if you know anything about Xavier Alexander, you know what a positive role model he is here in Singapore and how much he's, embra- he's embraced this community here. Sometimes as an import, as a world import, these guys become global nomads and they, they see the places they go into as, the, as a place they work. And that's fair enough, right? If I'm here for four months, do I really want to make connections with a ton of different people because I'm going to leave in another four months? and just do that circle over and over and over again. Well, Xavier's really invested in Singapore. And you could tell, you could tell in front of game two when he got presented that uh, ABL import MVP, you could tell that the Singapore community is really invested in him. And it was just a really special moment to see him go to center court after being here four years, after all of the triumphs and hardships that he's been through, to have a capacity house, this wouldn't have happened four years ago if Singapore was in the final, capacity house standing on their feet, giving him a standing ovation, chanting MVP, 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 MVP. And did he put a stamp on that award that night? Everything was predicated on the defensive adjustment that Coach Neo and Coach Johnson made by instead of putting Delvin Go on Maxi Escho, they switched up. They put Xavier Alexander, one of the best wing defenders in the league, on Maxi Escho, and they put Delvin Go on Brandon Jawado. And essentially they were saying, Brandon Jawado, you're a local, you're a great player, but we can live if you can beat us. We're not going to be able to live with ourselves if Maxi Escho beats us. From a defensive perspective... These were Esho's numbers in that game. Esho only had 12 points. But the thing that I think was really important was he only had 13 shot attempts. So he wasn't getting touches. And that's in 37 minutes. And this is for a World Import MVP candidate. This is for the best offensive player on their team. He only had 13 shot attempts. Which means that Xavier was in his grill the entire game. The other number I look at, five turnovers. Maxi Esho's is fantastic with the basketball. He takes care of the ball really well. And to have five turnovers is very unlike him. And that had to do with the pressure and the length that Xavier Alexander has. His foot speed and his ability to keep Esho in front, but also his length to get a a hand down into the lane when he was dribbling or down into his shooting pocket really bothered Maxi Esho. So the second matchup in that game that uh, changed dramatically was Daryl Watkins and John Fields. Daryl Watkins, 8 points and 3 of 10 from the field, 7 rebounds, only 29 minutes because he was foul plagued for most of that game. If you look over here, John Fields, 15.6 of 13, 12 rebounds, 3 block shots, and just did everything from a defensive perspective. He was everywhere. Now, we talked about Xavier Alexander, the import MVP, and what he did defensively on Max Escho, holding him to only 12 points. If you look across here, Xavier Alexander, the king himself, was crowned that night, I believe. 16 points. Okay, 16 points. But what I want to talk about is how he filled the stat sheets in every other box score position. Seven rebounds. Nine assists. 
seven steals, five block shots for a 6-5 wing. So we're going across the board here, six, seven, nine, four, seven, five. Get out of here. That is bananas for an index of 30 and a plus minus of 20. Xavier Alexander showed why he earned that award that night by doing an absolutely uh, amazing job on the defensive and offensive end. And for Singapore, again, we, we have to talk about one more thing. And one thing that made a huge difference that game was their locals and their locals' ability to defend their position and shoot the basketball. Okay, Hanbin, Nang, 14 points, 5 of 8, 4 of 6 from 3. Desmond Oh, 9 points, 3 of 6 from 3. Ding Taylun, 5 points, 1 of 2 from 3. The locals came to play, and interesting enough, Singapore's big advantage all year long was their uh, local... Local nominee for MVP, Delvin Go, because of his size. No one else as a local can match up with him. Delvin Go only played 13 minutes that game. He took one shot and had zero points. And the, the reason he did that is because Singapore decided to go small. And they were able to go small because Desmond Owen Hanbin started making shots. Combined seven three-pointers between the two of them. And so they were able to defend the smaller Indonesian guards, but also on the other end, they were killing them because they were hitting their threes. And now... It was creating more space for Xavier, for Jaron Young, and for John Fields to uh, attack downhill and get to the rim. Last thing we're going to talk about um, is Jaron Young. Jaron Young gets hurt first game. This is the entire last three quarters of the first game. Doesn't look very good. Pulls his hamstring. It looks terrible. It looks like he's never going to be able to come back and play in this series. Jaron Young sits the beginning of the second game. Halfway through the second quarter, Larry Liu picks up his fourth foul and Jaron Young steps into the game. And you could see all the Singer fans take a big, long, deep breath. Nervous deep breath at that. And Jaron Young came in and he was fantastic. And, and I was saying in the commentary booth with, with Chuck and the fantastic, uh, the amazing, talented Marco Benitez that Jaron Young didn't have to be special. He just had to be good. He had to be serviceable. He needed to make an impression, but he didn't have to be the usual athletic fiend and freak he is. But he he was at 6-9 from the field, 14 points. Amazing, Jaron Young. Absolutely amazing. And that was only in 19 minutes of play. And, and when he came in, you could tell that he was moving well defensively. He kept Douglas Heron in front of him. And Douglas Heron is a very hard individual to keep in front of you. And he did that three or four times. And then he hit his first pull-up ju jump shot, which is like his kind of step, his, uh, his patented shot. He gets the guy going, chasing him downhill, and he takes that big, long inside step, pushes off, and creates separation. And he's done, We've seen him do that a million times this year. And to see him be able to stop on that bad leg and push off, I thought, this is a really good thing moving forward for Jaron Young. So a in truly inspirational and heroic performance by Jaron Young coming through. And it's really nice to see him kind of give credit to other people in, the, in his post-game interview. And so 1-1, just like me and Chuck picked it going through to game three here and going to... Sarabayan. And um, well, the one thing I really like about these long series, and, and this is replicated in the NBA as well, is is when these teams play each other over and over again, it's, it's different from the regular season because you have a chance to prep again and make in-game adjustments or make pre-game or post-game adjustments for the same team. If you look at these teams during the year, they might be in Zuhai one day, go to Macau the next, in Malaysia right after that. 
So generally your prep for teams is very few and far between. And what you're doing is you're, you're essentially trying to get as much film on them as possible, but essentially trying to prep your own team and you're trying to get your own team ready because if you have three or two games in a week, it's really hard to prep or scheme for two different basketball teams. So when you, when you get the opportunity like this to, to play against a, a team on multiple occasions, multiple occasions in a row, you really see these in-game adjustments. And, and I thought those, that in-game adjustment by Coach Neal and Coach Johnson to put Xavier back on, which they had done in the regular season, Xavier back on Max Eschel really mattered. So moving forward to Game 3, who's going to make the adjustments? Um, and I think those adjustments are going to come from Coach Brian Rousen, who is a one-of-a-kind coach. Uh, just a, a tremendously humble man. Uh, a game tactician who really understands the game of basketball and has a high basketball IQ. He's a player's coach. The players love him, and you can see that they're 100% invested in him and his philosophy, and he's changed the culture there. That is not a winning basketball culture in in CLS. It hasn't been in the past in the ABL, 5-15 and last year, and he has really changed that culture there and turned it into where they believe they win. Not only do they believe they win, they think they should win. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested to see those adjustments. And, and, I, and I think it's going to come from his ability to get Doug Herring and, and Maxi Eschel a little bit more involved offensively and look, that, look for that to come through some kind of high ball screen action or, or maybe Herring in the post. They like to throw Herring down in the post every once in a while, but those two guys can score and they can create their own shots and all they need is a step. So if you can get a step through that ball screen action or anything of of that nature that allows them to have one little step on their opponent. Now everyone's chasing. Now everyone's helping. Now those closeouts are long. And now guys like Jawado and Wei Long and Sandy and Hidayat, now they become really scary knockdown three and, uh, three and D kind of shooters. And Brian Rawson's spacing is really good. He does a really good job of having those guys crack back along the three-point line so that they're creating space for the person who's driving. And so I, I, I think he'll, he'll have a little bit of adjustment from that perspective offensively because they only scored 57 points last game. That's the adjustment that they have to make. Now, the thing that's going to make the big difference in, in Game 3 is, is going to be the singer, Slingers going on the road. Um, Sarabai is a, is a crazy place. Kirtajaya Stadium is the atmosphere that I think everyone in the, in the league kind of strives for. It's a very difficult atmosphere to play in. It, it's humid it's really hot it's there's no air con there's bugs everywhere like chuck said there's mosquitoes flying around the arena the floor is like an ice rink it's slippery except for for some amazing reason the cls knights players are able to get traction on that floor and so they're able to get traction, which gives them that extra burst of speed, but it also gives them that extra burst of confidence. You, have you ever seen people who play on a slippery surface or a slippery court? They don't push off the same because they don't feel like they have that traction or that ability to stop and go or stop and start. And so it's going to be a really interesting perspective from the Slinger's point of view is are, are they going to let that home crowd and that home court advantage affect them? So... um. We picked the Slingers in five, and we picked them to split at home, and I still think this is going to happen. I think that I believe that what's going to happen in the first game is CLS is going to win. They're going to win game three. And I think that the change in atmosphere is going to help them. I think Herring is going to get in a role just like he did against Mono Vampire. I think he's going to have 25 points plus. 
I think that it's going to be a hard adjustment for the Slingers to come from the home, uh, the homely confines of OCBC Arena and go there. And I think they're going to have to adjust, and that that's going to take them one game to adjust. A game four, we've talked about the Slingers all year long, and it was very evident in game two when Jaron Young came back. The Slingers are a team of heart, grit, determination, commitment, all of those adjectives you want to learn, uh, talk about, they have. And if they're going to win the ABL championship in 2019, they're going to have to win a game in the hardest place in the arena, the hardest place in the league to win, the hardest arena in the league to win. They haven't, CLS hasn't lost yet in the playoffs. The Slingers are going to have to win a game to win the ABL championships. And I believe this is, this is their year. And I believe that they're going to do it this year. They're going to win that game. They're going to win game four in Sarabaya. They're going to bring it back to game five. And we'll talk about game five a little bit more when it comes to this. But they're going to do that. They're going to steal a game on the road, and that's going to allow them to try and close out in Game 5 at home at the OCBC Arena. And that's all going to be dependent on two things. Their defense, their ability to defend, the fact that they have won there this year, the fact that they have an 8-5 and five record on the road this year as well, the fact that they every time you count them out, the Slingers come back. Every single time you count them out, they come back and they're able to, to rally. Now, last thing I, I talked about before, the fact that players, when they play in a series, they get a chance to prep for each other. You see this in the NBA as well as the ABL. In these longer series, you get to play against a person longer, so you figure out their tendencies and their habits, as well as the team's tendencies and habits. That also, when you get to play someone over and over and over again, you get tired of them. And you get annoyed with them and you get frustrated with them and all that kind of stuff. And you could tell after game two that the players were starting to get on each other's nerves. Corresponding and pushing that forward, the fans were starting to get on each other's nerves. And that was very evident behind the CLS bench where the CLS fans who travel extremely well, there's a huge section of them, loud as always, doing their Icelandic soccer chant after game one victory. You tell the Slinger fans and... um the CLS Knights fans, the Knights Society, were, were starting to get on each other's nerves. And um, I found it afterwards kind of why. So in Singapore, they have a, a law, and, and it's a law called the National Emblems uh, Control Display Act. And I didn't know about this law. And I'd been, Chuck actually mentioned that he's seen three or four people who have been driving on their national day back home, whether it's Australia, Anzac Day, or, or Canada Day, or 4th of July, et cetera, et cetera, and they've had flags in their car, and they've had Singapore police pull them over and, and take those flags away, because what it says is, in the, in the National Emblems Control of Display Act, National Emblem means any flag, banner, or other emblem being or purported to be the flag, banner, or other emblem of another state or the flag banner or other emblem of a political organization claiming to be a national movement in any state or any likeness of resemblance, however produced by any national leader or former national leader of any state or the leader or former leader of any such political organization will not be on the premises of any school, of any sporting event, of any et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so essentially what the national what's it called the national emblems control of display act law is you're essentially not allowed to bring another flag besides the singaporean flag to a sporting event and wave it and there were some indonesian flags there and apparently they were confiscated confiscated at the game 
And um, it, it, the law, I, I'm not going to pass judgment on the law because it's not my, it, it's not my country and it's, it's way above my pay grade, okay? There's a law in Singapore, the people in the stadium who were working uh, essentially did their job. They did what they were supposed to. There's a law, whether I agree or disagree with the law, they did what they were supposed to do. Now, um, from an Indonesian perspective, I could see how they're frustrated. I can, I can completely understand how they're frustrated because having a flag is a national symbol. It's a, it's a symbol of pride. It's a symbol of patriotism. It's a symbol of something that really means something to you, right? And so I'm a Canadian person, and I was thinking of, thinking of, uh, I was thinking of, of myself going to an event in the States, and if I went to, say, the World Junior Ice Hockey Championships in the States and I brought a Canadian flag and I was told I wasn't allowed to display that Canadian flag in the venue or in the arena. And then I looked over and the American flags, uh, the American fans had their flags out. I would be extremely frustrated by this and I would feel that it's inconsistent and I would feel that it's not fair. And, and I can completely get where the CLS Knight Society fans are coming here. You're, you're something that you're extremely proud about, something that, that you believe in, in in your country, your national symbol, your national emblem, or, or your flag that you're bearing and trying to show people that you're proud of your country is, is taken away. And then you look over in the same venue and there's there's the host country's flag being waved by people all over the place. I can completely get where they're frustrated. And um, so I, I understood that. I'm not going to comment on the law. It has nothing to do with me. But I, from a Canadian perspective, going into the States, I, I definitely got where they were coming from. Now, I didn't, I didn't love all some of the derogatory comments online. I didn't, I didn't love all that kind of stuff. I think that the discussion could have been handled in a little bit more respectful way. But I understand their frustrations. And I just wish next time that if, if you do have those frustrations, have a dialogue about it. That's the way you have solved problems. Don't call, don't call each other names from both from the Slinger side as well as the CLS side. Don't call each other names. Just have a discussion and, and a dialogue and, and, and listen to each other's opinions because I think you probably would have came out with a different perspective if, if both sides would have. Um, last thing I'm going to say is, is, is when those fan bases get angry at each other, the, the, you also see other things. And I saw a petition being signed for Coach Brian Rousem being suspended for game number three for tripping Hanbin. And, and I saw the video and... and for those of you who know Coach Brian Rousem, he's the he is probably the most nice, kind, gentle giant, the pillar of humility. Humility. He is not someone who is going to do that. He is not someone who is going to do it intentionally. Yes, they kind of bumped into each other, but that if there there was no malice from from what I know and from how I've spoken with Brian Rousen, he is someone who I would I would consider I was someone as a role model or a mentor someone who I would like to emulate if I was a basketball coach and at at this level and yeah there's no there was no malice there it's I I understand Slinger fans are frustrated I get it I know there's a lot of contention right now between both fan bases but Brian Rousen's not a person who's who's going to um He's not going to do something like that. He has, he's the utmost moral and high character. And so that's not going to happen. He, it's just not going to happen from him. And so that, that's my opinion. People might have other opinions and we encourage to hear them, but that's what, uh, what's I think. And, and yeah. So game three and four, me and Chuck believe this is going to be a split. We believe that it's coming back to the lion city. We believe that the character that the Singapore Slingers have 
is going to get them one game. One game, and that's all they need. One game in the crazy Kirtajaya Stadium. And I think we're coming back here on May 15th for game number five that's going to decide the ABL, the 2000 rise to greatness. 2019 rise to greatness ABL championships. All right, ladies and gentlemen, hope you're enjoying this. We're having a lot of fun bringing it to you. I'm sad I missed Chuck tonight. You can follow us at ShootAround65 on Instagram. That's our social media media handle for right now. We're working on websites. We're working on Twitter. We're working on Facebook. We're working on YouTube. Thank you for all your listens. You've actually moved us up to number four in the sports and recreation category for Singapore, number four podcast of the top podcasts in Singapore. So thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. We appreciate all your feedback, negative and positive. And so for Chuck, myself, the shoot-around crew here in Studio 808, last thing to say, let's go Slingers.